Hello everyone and welcome to the Traders Mind Chat Podcast where we go live with professional traders from around the world to see what are what are their mindsets about trading. What are the things that have led them to be so incredibly successful where 95% of the population that tries to trade ends up failing. Today we will be speaking with Riz from Riz International. Really looking forward to getting his unique perspectives on how he trades. He's been trading professionally seven figures for a very long period of time and also a professional motorcycle rider. So very interesting perspectives uh, to be shared here. Uh, so while we are waiting for uh, Riz to join us, I want to say thank you all so much for for joining us live we've got a lot of people in the house already dominic welcome z forex welcome christopher uh and uh dableo ryan uh alfred welcome let's see uh let me send him a message active send okay cool so uh, I apologize for the wind, and if you hear some knocking in the background, I'm having the office renovated. Uh, what's going to happen tomorrow, it's happening today instead. It's the best. And so, just like the market, we need to adapt. So right now I'm out here, I'm on my balcony, and hopefully you guys can all hear me. Riz is in the house. So let's bring Riz live. Clicking the add button. Waiting for Riz International. And here he is. How's it going, man? Going well, you like? Good, good. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you loud and clear. Can you hear me fine? Uh, yeah, awesome. I apologize for any wind noise or banging that you hear. I was going to have my office renovated tomorrow. Uh, found out 30 minutes before that he's coming today. So, no problem, no problem. just... It's good. At least you're getting some sunshine. Uh, should be good weather. Um, you know, right in the afternoon. Uh, enjoy that, but yeah, it's not a problem. Uh, yeah, man, awesome. Just like the market, we've got to adapt, right? Absolutely, absolutely, man. So, uh, yeah, man, well, we started following each other on IG uh, a little while ago. I love uh, what you're doing, the content that you're putting out. Uh, recently found out that you're uh, a big motorcycle rider, too. Uh, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I've been, you know, I've been riding uh, since I was 17. I mean, it's in my life and I know if I, I know when I was younger um, if you would have asked me there was a few things I wanted to do with my life when I was a kid first thing I wanted to be a fighter jet pilot that didn't pan out mm. um, and then it was motorcycles it was motorcycles if I had my way I'd be racing but I'm too old now uh, I'm too old I mean you gotta be you know five or six and get into it since then but yeah no it's been a passion of mine since I was 17 and I'm still doing it mm -hmm. a little bit less um, but there's a lot of, uh, I know you asked me, uh, or, you know, like, there's a lot of parallels between motorcycle riding and, um, and, and trading, right? So I think I gravitate towards a little bit of more risky stuff, you probably can tell. All right. And how old are you? I'm 28. 28. Yeah. All right. <laughs> and, and so you've been, uh, trading then for a, the better portion of your life too, then, right? Yes. I always say, like, you know, about 11 years now, but, much, like, my adult life pretty much has been in and around the financial markets at different levels. So when I first started, you know, I started small, small, tiny sum of money when I was just finishing up uh, uh, high school with 
yeah, it began with some curiosity, uh, some dedication, obviously interest, and having that passion really helped, right? Having that passion for it and building that passion. I was passionate about it at the beginning, but that's how it started. And you know, would have told me when I was 19, 20 that this is where I would be, this is what I'd be doing, this is what I would kind of roll with. I would have said, you know, absolutely not. You're lying. Like, there's no way I could mm-hmm. be like a, a trader and you know do all the things that I do, meet all the people that I meet, right? No way. But that's the power of sticking to it and having that kind of, I think, with that fire, that's what you need. And I get it. Not everyone's going to have it when it mm-hmm. comes to market, but giving yourself that chance is the most important thing. It, so, uh, so when you, uh, so like, how did you even find out about the market? Like, what got, what's the thing that got you interested? Did you find, like, hear like, hey, yeah, like, this is a great way to make money? Like, uh, was it like a giant puzzle? Was it the, the, the risk factors? Uh, the, like coming from like mo- that motorcycle background, like, well, what was it? They... Yeah, yeah, good question. So for me, I remember vividly being being a kid. Child. I can't remember exactly. I was maybe you know ten, eleven, and I remember walking past my father, and he was on the phone. He was on the phone, and this is remember this is like let's just say late nineties, early early two thousands. Okay, mm-hmm. um, and. I remember he was on the phone with someone and he was telling someone to do something like buy this, sell that. I'm like, I don't know what he's doing. But mm-hmm. eventually, once he finished, I'm like, Dad, what are you doing? He's like, I was just placing a trade. And many people are like, well, making a phone call. Well, some of you may be younger. Uh, oh, so your father was a trader. He, so, yeah, he was a trader per se, like a retail, okay. regular retail trader placing trades. Or I would say an investor. Okay. Um, I wouldn't say a trader, I mean, uh, in that sense, but more of an investor. And now we have this fancy term called swing trading, which is kind of in between, mm. right? But yep. I would say more along the lines of an investor. In fact, now he's kind of taken on my strategy the last few years. Um, but essentially, I remember seeing him, I remember seeing him, you know, like that, and I didn't know what he was doing. He was just telling someone what to do, and it sounded so cool. Okay, every kid wants to, you know, be able to tell someone what to do. Um, and what happened was, as I got a little bit older, he's like, you know, I was placing a trade. This is what he was doing. I realized when he was calling the broker to place a trade because, you know, early 2000s, late 90s, sure, computers were there and internet was there, but no way to what it was now, right? Because mm-hmm. so he had to make a phone call and he was telling me, remember, like, it was $50 or so per trade. Yep. $50 or so, right? And when I look down, like, we have, we, have, we have brokerages that are free. You can trade for free. So it's come a long way, but that's what my curiosity and then I just decided that you know when I started working from when I was 12 years old um, and whatever little money I saved I've always been a notorious saver I've always kind of been entrepreneurial trying to you know save money grow money so I always had that streak in me um, but I decided to kind of leverage that and go with it and what better place to do it than the markets hmm. so were you successful right off the bat with it or did you uh, like kind of uh, like stumble and find your way and uh, well yeah. what was the path like for me, the interesting thing is when I started, it was around, think of it, oh wait, and now 2008, it doesn't matter what happened in 2008, but it's synonymous with the financial crisis. So I started beginning of 2008, I remember, and this is before Lehman went down, this is before, you know, Bear Stearns, um, so the markets were hanging on, but when that happened, it just tanked. Now mm-hmm. what happened was I put a little bit of money in already. I was new. I had no mentors per se. Like my father wasn't a trader, so he couldn't mm-hmm. be like, "Here, look at the RSI, look at these technicals." No, right? He held large blue chip stocks, and that's fine. So I gravitated towards those. 
but I wanted to get in and out. And ultimately what happened was I got trapped in many of these positions because they dropped 20, 30% from the level that I bought at. And even okay. I bought them at, you know, after 10, 15% dip, but they went down even more. Uh, and what I did was, wait a second, I realized that, okay, these are companies like, you know, McDonald's and Walmart, right? And, you know, many of the companies that we know now, the tech companies, growth companies weren't there, but the staples were, and I was like, you know what? I don't think they're going to go anywhere. Even being young, I realized they're not going to go anywhere. So what I did was whatever savings I had, I bought more whenever I could, whatever cash I mm. could. In that sense. So you just kept sure, on buying more on the way down. I averaged down, but ultimately I realized, okay, I'm okay. I'm comfortable with holding these positions. And I know maybe it was maybe it was naivety, maybe it was lack of experience. Because people that were in and around the markets, they were fearful. For me, I had no fear because for me this is the first thing I experienced. Mm. Right? For me I had no I had no barometer, I had no benchmark, I had no level. So for mm. me it was completely new. I'm like, you know what? Stuff's cheap. Let's go. And huh. it worked out. Right. And did you have a certain expectation of like, all right, I bought more, it's heading down, I bought more, it's heading down, like, did you have an expectation of like, how long am I going to hold this thing until it turns yeah. around? I didn't have, think of it like I didn't have a stop loss, I didn't have like a specific level, I didn't have support, resistance here to look at, I had nothing. Right, all right. I knew was, okay, this is the capital I have, I'm going to allocate this and see where it goes, because remember, I was going to college at this time, I didn't have a smartphone, the iPhone had just released um, and what happened was, this is the original iPhone I just released, and I didn't have data, so what I had to do was just being able to not constantly look at it and have something else to do was my savior in this sense, and obviously the market's going up, but I realized that because I didn't have access to this and actually trade over my phone, I had to go to the library, get on the computer, and luckily we could access our brokerage account, so that's where I had to go in and place trades in between mm. class or at lunchtime. So, I was able to be patient simply because I didn't keep looking at it, right? So this time, this kind of thing, the market's played out. I have no doubt that it's harder now in terms of the market environment to trade and start than obviously it was for me uh, back in 08. So a lot of people say, Riz, what did you start with? I say, you know, I started with 5,000. And they say, can I start the same thing? I say, you can. But remember, we're in a different landscape. And this is very important to point out because... It sounds very sexy, right? It sounds sexy. Oh, I started with 5000 you know, turning into this money. Yeah, but I always say that, okay, I don't want to sell someone this kind of dream. They're going to start with five grand and now they can retire in a year. Absolutely not. Mm. Right? That becomes a hot shot trader. Even <laughs> I, time, right? I had to take a couple years to understand what I was doing. And that's a, for me, that's a long time, uh, two years, because I had no guidance. I didn't have a mentor. I didn't have, we didn't have, IG, we didn't have IG live, yeah. we didn't have guys like you that we could, you know, speak with and gain counsel from. It was just me, I had some books, and the books were okay, I mean, granted, they're great, I would I would recommend reading some of these books, but they don't make you into a trader, there's no book that can make you into a trader, I don't care what book it is, they can give you the mm -hmm. concepts, there's some legendary books, right, we've heard of Reminiscent of a Stock Operator, there's Ben Graham's Intelligent Investor, there's so many I could list off, but yep. nothing made me into the trader I am until I could actually start doing it until I had the right train of thought, the right mindset. And it would have been a lot faster if I had guidance, but in that time it was so hard. You know, we didn't have, uh, you know, the level of access and technology that we do now. So people should harness that. And that's why I do what I do. And I know you do the same, you know, mm -hmm. you, you try to reach out and help people because
because it's an amazing platform to help people. The way I look at it, if I can save one person from blowing up their account, I feel like I've done something worthwhile in my life. Yes. Yes, totally agree with you. Um, uh, I, when you were uh, uh, speaking, you, you said that it's harder now than it is back then. Oh, uh, what, uh, how do you, in what ways do you see that it's more difficult now? So, yeah, I had a funny meme uh, <laughs> using that little face tune app. I said, you know, um, I had, a, I mean, this is not trying to get political, but I had a picture, I have a picture of me. Um, hey, maybe some of you guys can check it on my platform, on my profile. But uh, essentially, I'm standing there, I'm looking young, whatever, I have my glasses on, I'm in a suit. And it says trading during the Obama era. And then the next image is trading during the Trump era. And I'm like, oh, because I'm using that face too now. Now, politics aside, the trickiness, just, just one simple caveat is never in my life that I have to look at a tweet for public policy for understanding what a sitting president is doing and how it could impact market pricing, asset class pricing. I never had to do that. Mm. Didn't even have to worry about it. Didn't care about Twitter. I didn't even have a Twitter account. Um, that is no longer the case for the last two or three years. Right? That's one. One thing. I've seen asset classes that were correlating. Again, I'm getting a little bit in-depth for the average person, but things that were kind of matching up before don't match up anymore. Right? They're just certain strategies that still work, but some that simply don't. Right? You have yeah. to understand that pretty much growth has value stock. Growth stocks have been all the, all the way up. Value has been just thrown out the window. Um, so ultimately for me, it's been it's been it's been a learning curve. It's been a learning mm-hmm. curve, Michael. And for me, I continue to learn. Right, continue to learn. Hmm. All right, interesting. Yeah. Well, we've got a sophisticated audience here. Like, uh, don't uh, like, please, like, feel free to dive okay. in and uh, yeah, like, uh, let's like dive into the nuts and bolts and see like, oh, uh, what, how, how this up here is uh, is working, man. Uh, yeah, yeah. For me, for me, like, it's oh, very hard to be able to explain in detail, but also kind of make it as simple so that anyone and any any individual can understand. So it's tricky. There's that there's that caveat, but I am glad to hear that you know we have a sophisticated audience. We have people that you know are market enthusiasts, and that's yeah. But I love, love talking markets. I love discussing and generating an idea back and forth. Yeah, man. Uh, like for for me, like I've seen. It, uh, like it, so similar it almost in a similar way like i got started uh during the dot-com bubble right but, but i had the opposite experience right like so we uh, bad times uh to get get involved a lot like i uh, got involved first in 1999 right after graduating high school and I thought that I was going to go and like just buy stocks, right? Like I didn't even have any idea how to buy a stock. And there might be some people in this audience that have heard this story, but I don't think that you have yet. But uh, so I go to my local bank, right? And I walk in, they have this little financial booth and uh, I say, hey, I want to buy stocks. And they're like, oh, no, 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 you don't want to buy stocks. You want to buy this. And they show me some mutual funds, right? And I didn't know the difference. And so I'm like, oh, okay. And so I take, I started with five grand too. <laughs> coincidentally so i i looked through some prospectuses and they're like hey man what are you doing well what do you mean what am i doing nobody reads those right so i'm like oh okay i flipped through some more uh, and then i'm like all right i'll take this one this one and this one and i think all right i've got professionals managing my money i don't plan on selling until after i graduate i was going to graduate in 2002 and i have loads of diversification right uh three solid things and so 
in six months, I check my balances and I'm up like 10%. And I'm like, wow, like I'm a genius, right? Not, I didn't even know what the NASDAQ was back then, right? I should have been up like 50% if I was trading stocks, but well, like 10%, wow, I'm, I'm a genius. Then uh, studies got busy and I wasn't paying attention. Uh, go to graduate in uh, June of 2002, check my statements, and I thought that I was going to have like, uh, like this nice big... Uh, account where I would be able to withdraw it, buy a car. Didn't have a nice big account. I didn't even have the five grand that I started with. I was down to four grand and I was like, what in the hell happened? And I took my money out. I went home and I cried. So, and that was my first taste. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, I heard that I haven't traded through the dot-com bubble, but with all, I love, I love history in a sense that I love certain time periods in history, the 17th, 18th century, I don't know, I'm a little bit weird. I'm, I'm a connoisseur of many different things. Um, but when I look back and trace back 99, 2000, 2001, in my study of the parallels between how things were in that market and now, and I'm not the only one, there's many that will say this as well, that there are some similarities, right? And you, Michael, having experienced it, having seen the pros and the cons of that time, probably see as well there's certain similarities that we see in valuations again i'm getting mm-hmm. a little bit um into the weed of things but valuation we see you know forward pe's we see you know guidances come down and obviously we have a big question mark which is tariffs which we haven't had to deal with i've never had to deal with tariffs in my life I've never had to deal with the brexit and many people and many traders mm-hmm. in this day and age have never had to deal with the bear market Right. Yep. So forget tariffs. They haven't had to deal with the bear market. Last December, I remember it like it was yesterday, in October, November, December, the last quarter when things were coming down, people were like, oh my God, this is a crash. I'm like, we're down 15% from peak. Okay, the S&P 500 is already up 310 odd percent since 2009. Mm-hmm. March 2009, it's already up 300 odd percent, including, not including dividends. Mm-hmm. Just understand that if it's a 15% peak decline, First of all, that's not categorized as a, a crash. It's not even a bear market yet. And if you recall, we hit, I think, just 19.9% or something from peak back in December. And then the Christmas, the late Christmas rally uh, began. We just started after, I think it was December 26th or something is where yep. it just started going up, right? And we made back to 20%. But the point is, people were calling for an economic collapse, a crash. And I was telling anyone that was willing to listen, hey, look. I put my money where my mouth is. Here's my transactions. I'm buying these, these, and these things. Um, mm. And maybe they listened. Maybe they didn't. If they did, you know, they they didn't. You know, they stood to do well. But ultimately, like you said, it's all in the mind, mm. right? Sure, timing plays. Mm. As traders, as active investors, as active traders, timing makes a difference. But of course, it's all in the head. Understanding that, okay, I don't deal with any stock. For me, it's like a different world. So I know. Whatever I buy, okay, right. I'm okay. I'm okay with holding. Sure, I have my risk management, but I'm okay with holding. Hmm, that's interesting. So, uh, like, I was behaving the same way back in December and early January. I just started to see a lot of stocks starting to set up as we were coming off the lows, and I saw volume on the nexus, and it's like, all right, you know what? Uh, this is actually setting up for stuff. Let's start testing and getting back in, and that. And the market drove me in. I, I'm always curious to hear from other traders, uh, like, well, what is it that you were seeing that started to get you confident that, hey, like, 
this is something that can materialize? Absolutely. Number one, simplistically, I look at, I spend, I don't publicize it, but I spend about two to two and a half hours a day reading and looking at markets, meaning... Uh, yeah, like, what are you reading? I, I think you would get... So all kinds of news, and I'm not talking about headlines like CNBC or, or on Bloomberg, but I mean like looking at economic data. Okay. Right? So to lead to what you said, back in October, November, December, we're looking at economic data. We're looking at, you know, manufacturing, housing starts. We're looking at the economy. We're looking at different recession indicators, and I didn't see anything. I didn't see anything. Sure, the trade war had started. Sure, maybe companies and CFOs were kind of, on the fence and maybe guiding lower, but that's not enough to classify a recession or, or, or a drop off in earnings and to dictate a 20% drop. And that was a 20% market drop in the S&P 500. If yeah, you look yeah. at Apple, Apple was down like 20, 25, 30%. Amazon was, I think, down 35 to 40%. Amazon, right? We had companies like Facebook. I think obviously Facebook had that scandal with Cambridge Analytica last year, and they went down like 50% or so, right? So the opportunities to buy these companies, irrespective of what was happening in the market, was there. For me, I was looking at technical indicators. Sure, I look at that too, but companies' guidance and their operating and their product, there's no crazy scandal unless it was Facebook. You know, Amazon being down 35%, even though they had record sales, Because many of the first questions I get asked is, what do you drive? Or, 
and I'm a huge car and motorcycle guy, but I don't publicize that much. It's, you know, it's my passion and I love bikes and cars, but I try to keep all that stuff away uh, mm-hmm. from what it really matters when it comes to trading and markets. So to kind of encapsulate what I did was I knew that things could drop 10% more. I'm okay, right? I know my cash flow is fine. I don't need to use this money that I have in the market. I don't use it. I frankly don't. All I do is like to be, and to quote myself, I remember saying, I said, you know, for me, the markets and my account value, total account values in the markets, I look at it like a high score, okay? And I don't need it for paying bills or whatever. So for me, as someone who grew up playing video games, I look at it as a high score. So if it's 2 million, I want to get it to 2.1, 2.2. I don't, like, I'm not looking at it, okay, so if I hit 2.3, I'm taking 300 grand out so I can buy a Ferrari. Mm-hmm. I could, I, I, you know, I, I feel like it sometimes, but I just have too much self-control. I'm, and I say this, and I say this with complete, you know, humbleness. I say I'm the master at delaying gratification. Mm. I have been able to snowball wealth, snowball my net worth, not because I'm some genius or some savant or legendary trader, but because I am very, very cognizant of delaying gratification, being self-aware, and being someone who just trades to trade. A lot of people ask me, I have $5,000, how much can I make? I don't like hearing that. That's the number one, you know, it's like the number one turnoff. If someone said that to me, uh, you know, it just, yeah, I don't like it because in what profession do we get to say, how much can I make before doing anything? Yep. Right? If you walk into a, a job interview and the first question you ask them is, how much can I? How much do I make? Sure, that's a valid question, but there's a time and place for that. First, you got to know what you have to do. First, you got to know what the responsibilities are. You got to know the job description, right? A surgeon doesn't walk into the operating room with zero experience and say, "All right, I'm ready to do surgery. Let's fix this guy's heart right up." Uh, no, <laughs> we're gonna laugh out of the door, and you're you're a hazard. Yeah, could you you're imagine if you're the patient? You're a hazard to the patient. You're a hazard to yourself. Uh, like, uh, I'm just picturing myself as, like, the patient sitting there and, uh, like, uh, the doctor comes in. He's, like, reading the textbook. He's, like, all right. Uh, the, yeah, this is a scalpel, right? All right, let, let's go. It happens all the time. It blew my mind, Michael, like, the amount of messages I get. I'm not going to pinpoint people, but, you know, when it comes to penny stocks, what do you think about this stock that's trading at 30 cents? I think it can go up. What about, you know, I think that stock is 30 cents for a reason, right? It's worthless for a reason. The trajectory is down like this. For a reason, mm-hmm. you know, I get asked, I have two thousand dollars. I work at, you know, Costco, Walmart, wherever. I want to retire. I want to quit my job by next year. I want to turn this two thousand into five hundred thousand. How I see this all the time. It's painful. It's painful. Uh, I always tell my guys, my traders, and my students. I say, you know, doing what I do is kind of like it's like, and I'm going to be a little bit vulgar here, so I apologize. I, mean, I say it. like it's like. It's like swimming, okay? But instead, you're trying to swim up a waterfall. Okay. And that waterfall is a waterfall of shit, and you have to swim up. Okay. Upwards. And all throughout this, you got your mouth open. Oh, my right? God. This is ultimately how this generation is. And this 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 kind of promise and this selling of a lifestyle, this kind of get-rich-quick, this Lambo. Mm. I love Lamborghinis, but I will refuse to buy one simply because of how played out they are. That's mm. how sad it is, 
right? Uh, but anyway, the point is that, <laughs> you know, I could go on all day about these things, but ultimately, to finish off your question, 2018, end of 2018, I knew that if even things things drop 20% more, 30% more, I'm okay. I don't care. Hmm. So, well, what's your intention with your, your trading? Like, it sounds like you're more of a longer term uh, with your, your trading. And I think that one of the things that uh, some people, where they, uh, something that gets traders tripped up often uh, from the questions uh, that I get is that they don't set an intent uh, before they, they place a trade. So, uh, like, when it, it drops 5% or 10%, they they don't know if like oh like I'm holding this for I don't know for retirement or if I'm holding this uh, to try to compound uh, over the course of a year versus hey I'm going to be a day trader right like so well what is your your intent well with your trades that's an important question so yes that's good clarification so ultimately it's important to know what style you're trading what your time frame is, right? I have my account. So think of my total investable asset in the market as one account. And if I had that one account, I split it, right? There's no 50-50 split or 60-40 split, but part of it is long-term holdings. Okay, value companies, companies that I'm familiar with. And another part of it is companies that I'm speculating on and actively trading. So when I say I'm okay with holding, I'm not talking about some of these companies that you know are crazy overvalued or some small name, right? I'm talking about things that we've all heard of, and I'm okay with buying them and holding them because they're that part of the portfolio. If it's something that I'm looking to enter for an active trade, it could be Walmart, but in my head, I entered, bought Walmart at XYZ amount, thinking that, okay, I'm looking for this setup to play out, and it doesn't, I'm going to exit that trade because it's part of a different strategy. So I don't recommend this for everyone, but if someone has a, you know, a size amount of capital, they have the experience, then it's best to A, diversify, not only in what sectors you're trading in, what types of companies, but diversify in strategies and styles. This is for experienced traders, mm -hmm. right? And that's been one of my saving grace because now I get to not only hold solid companies, right, and look for long-term growth and kind of stay out of my own way mm -hmm. for part of my portfolio, but the other part of it, I also get to actively trade, do the things that kind of I enjoy and mm -hmm. do the things that where I can have a higher upside if I do it right. And of course, there's downside too, right? But I can do that. I can do that balancing act. Most people can't. Most people, what will happen is, especially if they're viewers, they'll place a trade and then it will turn into an investment. That's yep. the wrong thing, right? And you know this. You and I know this, but that's the wrong thing. And I would not do that. So let's say Square, the company Square. I bought Square recently. You know, it's overvalued in many different metrics. You know, they're about to reach profitability, they're a growth company, multiples. but I bought this company based on technicals. Now, the trade's going my way, but if it doesn't go my way, am I going to just, oh, I'm okay with holding it? Sure, but that's not why I placed the trade. So I need to know inside my head, what was my thesis? What was my strategy? Am I employing a long-term trade on Square? I would Am I placing this trade to see it play out as a swing trade in the next few days to a few weeks, tops? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So this thing is not something I will bag. If it goes against me and goes against my risk metrics, I'm out. But if it's something that, you know, I placed a trade on Walmart and I knew in my head that I'm buying this at great value, knowing that Walmart 
car in two, three years is going to be fine no matter what, then that's an investment. And I need to know that going in. So I'm glad you touched on that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and being able to, to execute on what your plan is immediately like that, uh, like the, so absolutely crucial. Uh, like, well, uh, it, and I think that part of, uh, like, well, what you do, part of what I do, part of, uh, like, well, what I see every single successful trader do is they go in with a plan and then well, when it's time to execute, it like that—that's it. Like it's just uh, like there, there's no question. They know exactly what to do, and there's there's no hesitation either. I can't explain it to you more. Like Michael, there's a few things I tell my friends. There's a few things that get me off. Oh, you, you cut off uh, for a second. The last thing uh, I heard, uh, the the last thing that I can you hear me? Can you hear me? You're breaking up a bit. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Uh, so the last yeah, thing yeah. that that I heard before you started yeah. to break up was, "This is what gets me off," and then it stopped. <laughs> I don't know what kind of a show this is, man. <laughs> it just got real interesting. Yeah, I, I always take things in a different area. Right? So what I was gonna say, <laughs> what I was gonna say was, the things that get me off is nothing like being in. This moment, being in the moment, whether it's on a bike with a helmet, it's on, the lid is down, I'm not me anymore. Same way, when I'm in front of my platform, in front of my screens, in mm. front of my desk, and they are looking at the markets and in the zones, it's like, I'm, it's like, there's no feeling like it. And ultimately, that's what I enjoy, that feeling of knowing. And you mentioned that, okay, you know, you're not even thinking about it, right? You're playing these crazy, you're not thinking about it. And that's the beauty. When I'm there, people are like, really, what are you thinking? What about this? No, no, no. I've already thought about it. I've already done it all. Subconsciously, because of my experience, like we call this intuition. And I tell my new traders all the time, I say, you don't have intuition because you're, you're so new. You don't have that gut feeling. So if you have a gut feeling, don't listen to it because you're too new, right? Intuition mm-hmm. is just our subconscious. So a lot of things I do, I do it because I've already done the work, I've already paid my dues, and now it's just my skills and my sort of being so in tune and having my finger on the pulse of, of the market. Yes, yes. That's so, I, that for me is one of the best feelings so, in the world. So I've right? got so. I was just going to say, I've got one more question before uh, we dive into uh, questions from the audience. And uh, everybody that that's here, I know you guys have been real patient, and I appreciate you for that. If you could take your questions, like there's like a little button at the bottom of the screen with the question mark on it. Click that and put your questions in there because it's going to make it a lot easier for us to uh, find the questions and put them up on the screen. So the last question that, that I have uh, for you, Riz was uh, to go into what you had just said, the difference between uh, understanding the gut feeling the and when you're able to make that determination. Like, because, yes, like you want to be able to trust your gut, but you can't do it as a newbie. So at what point are you able to make that transition? Like, yeah, you know what? Like, I have this feeling, and now I, I'm able to trust it. Yeah, good question. And you know the answer to this partially as well. Uh, there is no singular answer or number, but 
ultimately, it all comes down to seed time. So if someone's going to trade here and there from their phone and they spend a year trading, you know, looking at the market 10 minutes a day, a year has passed, but that doesn't mean they have the intuition and the instinct, right? Mm. But if someone who's dedicated themselves, you know, doesn't mean they have to sit in front of the computer and trade all day, but I mean, like, someone who's looking at markets, like, I spend, like I said, about two and a half hours a day just reading up on markets, reading up on where the direction is a macro type of level, right? So it depends, right? My expertise and understanding the market is going to be at a different level than someone who just looks at it, you know, looks at two of the stocks that they're holding for five minutes. It's a completely different game. So understanding that you're going to get out what you put in. So if someone is spending a lot of time, they're looking at it, they're increasing their skill set, their awareness, they're trying to keep on top of where the market is going, where different industries and sectors are going, they will build that intuition a lot quicker. If they have a lot of trades under their belt, they will build that intuition and gut feeling a lot quicker than someone who places five trades a year, simply because of seed time, simply mm. because of experience, right? So I don't think there's a specific time or like, there's yes. no like, you gotta put in 10,000 hours to build that intuition. No, uh, I just think it's gonna take time. People do not fully realize that many of the greatest things achieved in life take time, they take persistence, they take dedication. Right. And I tell guys, especially when I do consulting for, you know, whether it's personal finances or the trading coach or someone who does consulting for businesses, I say that if you want to get to where you want to get to, wherever it may be, whether it's a material thing or, or a lifestyle or for your family or for your personal self, you have to be like a rabid dog. Okay. Or think of yourself as this heat seeking missile and you have to lock onto the target and do not deviate. Right, in the same way, if you have an attack dog, okay, maybe they work for the SWAT team, the police. That dog's main purpose is to lock onto the target once released from the handler and not stop. And once it bites down on the arm or the leg, okay, an extremity of the actual criminal or the target, it does not let go. Mm. It does not let go. And that's how you have to be. This is how you have to be. I cannot go into in the little bit of time that we have this trials and the tribulations, the problems, the challenges the suffering that I've had to go through, I still go through. But ultimately, that's what makes us as human beings. I trade, I do what I do to be a better person, to be a better human being, to increase my skill set and leave the world a better place than when I entered. That's ultimately why I do what I do. And people need to have that kind of focus, that absolute reason of why they do it. I, I don't have a reason to do it for a Lamborghini or a Ferrari as much as I love cars. For some people, they want to do it so that they can buy a certain house, and that's up to them. But you need to have that focus. Ultimately, don't focus on the things. Focus on the vision. Focus on the goal. And if they can do that, the other things will come. Damn, I love that answer. That, uh, like, there's so many nuggets in there. Like, I can't wait to go back and rewatch this and uh, listen to it on the the podcast uh, when it goes up. Uh, Appreciate it. Yeah, I'm gonna be doing the same. Um, so, the first question that we have is from uh, Breezy818. Uh, what technical indicators do you tend to gravitate towards the most? I usually lean on fundamentals. So, do you have any technicals uh, that you lean on? Well, we uh, spoke a lot about uh, fundamental stuff, but are there technicals? Absolutely, absolutely. So, I, I use a mix, and when I teach my 
my students, I use a mix. So okay. for shorter-term trading, obviously for swing trading, shorter-term trading, it's mostly technical. But for longer-term investing, fundamentals definitely play a bigger factor. But for indicators, yes, I use RSI, different moving averages. Plus, I have my own technical indicator that I created and I use, right? The proprietary technical indicator that I use and my students get access to it. And that gives me, you know, right on the chart, real time, different stocks. Anything that has a price, it will work on where it gives a technical indicator based on the numbers in the back end. It gives you like an arrow or like a, like a signal on when to go long or when to go short. Oh, interesting. I have that too. It's not, it's not, it's not some money printing machine. It's not some trading bot. No, it's up to you as a discretionary trader to look at the broader market, the broader stock and make a decision. But it gives you that signal, right? Of long or short. So that's one of them. I have the RSI. I have all these kind of indicators. But ultimately, no indicator is going to make or break your trade. You think of it like going fishing, and what do you do? You bring your rod. I'm not a fisher, so I don't fish, so mm. I'm just shooting off the hip here. But you bring your fishing rod, but you also bring bait. Right, right. You can roll without bait, but you're not necessarily going to get too much. But if you have the right bait for the right type of water, the type right, right type of fish, you're going to have a better time succeeding. So looking at price just looking at support and resistance, looking at different indicators and combining some fundamentals, absolutely, my personal view, the best way to go. Huh. Uh, interesting. Uh, for me, uh, I look at just a couple of different things too. Like uh, I'm using simple bar charts, right? Like I'm looking at high, low, and close. Right? Like uh, I don't even look at, at the open. Like that doesn't factor in. It's because uh, I'm... Uh, I started being trained by William O'Neill. I don't know if you're familiar with that guy, but you, you probably are. You, uh, yep. Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, I'm looking at price and volume, a handful yeah. of moving averages, relative strength versus the S&P 500, and yeah. that's about it. Like, I'm drawing my own trend lines. I'm drawing support and resistance. I'm looking at... Uh, I do a top-down analysis. I start from monthly charts. I go down to weeklies, daily, and then intraday charts. So that way, I'm like zeroing in uh, on what it is, uh, right? It's like look, like if you're an eagle, uh, like uh, you know, starting out, like surveying the forest. Then you dive down into the trees, then the leaves, and then like way down there on the bottom, that's where you're gonna find your prey, the target, your yeah. your trade. Exactly. Great then, analogy. Great analogy. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Uh, let's see. What other questions do we have? Oh, you got to be kidding me. There's no other questions uh, in there? Guys, come on. There's 23 people watching right now. You've got to have other stuff. I'm going to scroll through the chat to see what else came in, but if you guys could click the button, uh, the question button, that'll make life a little bit easier. Um, from Jazz, it says, uh, how do you feel about the markets right now? Do you have an opinion? Yeah. So... Ultimately, you know, we had a little bit of a pullback from, from the levels, uh, especially the critical level of 3,000 and S&P 500. Uh, right now, the biggest, biggest, I think, question mark is, you know, what's September going to be like, especially since we were supposed to have those kind of tariffs kick in September uh, on China. And obviously, the, the White House, the Trump administration, kind of walked back on some of the stuff, so that's good. That's why we thought that pick up again in the markets after the sell-off that we had a couple weeks ago. So ultimately, depending on what kind of answer someone wants, the in-depth answer is, I think there is a more upside uh, 
and we're going to have to see if that's right or not. But in the long term, that's where we're kind of on shaky ground. This is why it pays off to be a trader uh, because now you're utilizing you know, the broader market as an opportunity to see that if things do come down, it's not bad, it's good because now you can kind of buy these companies at a lower price and not be stuck as someone who buys at the peak right now. Right, so if someone who's an investor and starting investing now, sure it's fine if they're in it for the long term and have the the sticking power. But ultimately, it pays off to be an active trader in this time frame because you can still make money on the upside. Markets mm-hmm. still can go up, but as an active trader, especially someone with experience, you can now see if things are going to pull back and try and make money on the downside too. Right, that's what I love being able to take both sides, being agile. Right, uh, many of these large. First of all, mutual funds can't short, but many of these large hedge funds and institutional funds, they're so big, they're too big for their own good and they can't be agile, right? Mm. That's the beauty of being an individual trader or having a small shop is you can be in and out very quickly of your positions, you can take large positions, you can build up, you can scale out, and you can switch on a dime, right? That's the beauty. So being able to take advantage of this upside, but also a potential downside we have, you know, a big slowdown. Um, that's something I completely am okay with. I can take, you know, and sure, my long-term investments are going to get hit, but I'm okay. I'm okay. That kind of portfolio, I don't need to time. But for the active trading one, yeah, absolutely. I want to see if I can, you know, get it at the best price. It doesn't always happen. Uh, but I do see some long-term slowdown. 2020 uh, is what a lot of people are talking about. But short-term, I see us making a little bit of a recovery. Hmm. Uh, how far out do you look? Um, like, do you do projections? Or? Of, for short term, I'm looking at, okay, different levels of the S&P 500. But for long term, 2020, I go up further as year out. Because anything further is really like just pulling stuff like, out of your ass. Right? Yeah, like so, too many variables, right? With multiple. Right, so there's other things. But for me, short term... Uh, looking at S&P 500 levels, looking at the next month or two, and then for long-term, a year out. Mm. Uh, here's an interesting question. I haven't seen this before. Any regrets throughout your trading time? This one's from Miguel Ortiz. Sorry, reg- one second. Can you repeat that? Yeah, any regrets throughout your trading? Uh, like, so, uh, like a mistrade or like bet too heavy a lot. Like uh, anything that, like if you could go back in time... Uh, would you change it? Yeah. I wouldn't change anything. I wouldn't change anything. Um, what I would do is I would buy Amazon. Because Amazon is one thing I'm completely okay with admitting. I completely missed the train. I completely missed Amazon. In fact, I only have traded a few times, but I never bought Amazon to hold, which would have been the right decision in hindsight. So if I had to go back and change one thing, I would have just bought a shit ton of Amazon. <laughs> um, hey, likewise, uh, like uh, I believe in the butterfly effect, where yeah, like uh, every single thing that's happening to us, uh, like life is constantly serving us. So I wouldn't go back and change any of the mistakes. The one of the biggest mistakes that I've made in my trading, uh, and uh, I've told the story before too, was uh, leading up to my wedding. I was long silver, right? Uh, and I got married in May or April 30th, 2011. And 
back then, silver was on a tariff. We go back and look at those charts, uh, SLV. Uh, it was like in this uh, parabolic kind of move. And I uh, bought in. I was up like about 100%. And I thought that I was the freaking man. And with everything going on with the wedding, I didn't set any kind of a sell stop. Right? I go away to Hawaii, come back a couple of weeks later, and that 100% gain turned into about a 10% gain. And that yep. sucks balls. But very yep. important lessons in there, right? Like, always uh, <laughs> always make sure that your plans are in place. Uh, set a going away plan for your portfolio. And, Absolutely. yeah, uh, many, uh, many lessons learned. Uh, very expensive, but better to have learned them, uh, what is that, eight years ago now uh, than to be yeah. learning now. Absolutely. Like I'm, 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 I'm a little bit different in that that I'm a masochist, so I can go on vacation and I work on vacation. I trade on vacation. So uh, for me, I know I keep my positions. I trim my positions, but when I do go on vacation, I got to make sure I have internet connection, something stable, a few hours of the day, so I can at least monitor markets and manage my positions at the very least. Let on, let alone put some through. Um, but yeah, definitely managing positions, like you said, uh, whether. You Either you exit or either you set stops or whatnot before being away because it's important to step away from the markets completely, right? And I wish I could do that more, um, but it's important to do that, right? Completely shut off and completely step away from the market and make sure you have your protective stops there, your risk management there, and that's it. Let things play their course. Mm. Here's an interesting question from Kenneth. What stocks will you invest in during a recession? Uh, there's so many. There's hundreds. There's hundreds. I mean, there's some amazing companies that we've all known and loved and have heard of, but they're going to be trading at deep discounts, right? So when that time comes, you should be able to eyeball it, but also if you have some sophistication, you should be able to see what's dropped significantly, what's a good buy, what's a solid company that still does well during recession. So we know companies that are known as defensive companies, mm-hmm. right? Companies that will not necessarily do better in recession, but they will not be as heavily impacted as companies like Apple or something that are selling like a $1,000 phone. So you have companies like Walmart. Sure, Walmart's going to be impacted, but they're going to be impacted less than some upscale, you know, boutique luxury store, right? Because people are going to cut back, right? McDonald's isn't going to go anywhere. McDonald's, sure, they're sometimes I've seen in certain quarters where there's a slowdown. McDonald's, you know, revenue goes up. Right, because instead of going for that filet mignon, people are going for the value, right? Hmm. So it's important to understand that there's defensive companies out there you could absolutely buy even before a recession. Uh, but there's companies that, whether they're Walmart, whether it's Apple, whether it's Google, Facebook, that are great companies, but they're going to get hit significantly, uh, and that's your opportunity, right? So I'm not going to run through the list, but there's hundreds. Hmm. Uh, uh, I. I really like that answer too. The way that that I would answer it, uh, it it depends on uh, like if, I think that everybody needs to have some kind of a process that they're going to follow for their trading. And so the way that I personally uh, would do it, uh, like I have the this uh, this thing, and I just created a, a brand new tool that's going to be released very soon. Um, the working title of it is like 
trade evaluator, right? It'll probably be called something else, but it's kind of like a, a weighted average checklist of the things that I find to be most important well, when I'm looking for a trade. So I would go through each one, check off the boxes, see what has the best score, and then look to see what's the reward to risk on this trade, right? So where am I going to enter? Where am I going to exit? What's my target? And is it giving me three to one, four to one, five to one, more than that? And focus on the ones that are going to give me the best reward to risk. And that, that's that been a recipe for success for a real long time. And in weeding out a lot of trades too. A lot of trades look amazing. Uh, but then like, well, when you go to see like, well, here's where I think that it could go. Here's where I would need to place my stop. Oh shit, actually, like that, that's like only giving me uh, one and a half times my risk. Eh, I think I'll wait until I get a better setup. So absolutely, that sounds like a you know fantastic tool. Uh, there's something like I use like that as well. Uh, in terms of being able to contextualize in my head, I don't have a tool per se, uh, but in my head I can see clearly. Okay, here's the margin of safety. What's the upside? What's the downside? Right? What's the risk reward on this thing? And that's what I you can build as a trader as time goes on but ultimately i think everyone should have a tool like you said right and whether you're when you and i look forward to seeing it when you release it and you know being able to give it a world because it sounds super helpful for everyone whether you're a beginner or whether you're someone who's been trained for decades right so absolutely critical i love that <laughs> thanks man uh, i can't wait uh, I, i'm like pumped about this thing um last question i think before uh, we'll need to call like the five minute warning. Absolutely. I would. I would. Um, from BBB23. Uh, when should new traders, six months or less, start learning and playing with options? I have, we have some questions. Good question. Um, he's actually in my, uh, uh, my group and he's one of my students. So, uh, good question, Brian. Uh, you know, ultimately, you know, I trade equities, stocks, uh, but I also trade options, right? For me, I think there's no time frame. I think some people take a lot more time to get, you know, come to grips with, with stocks and they need to be comfortable with stocks and everything that goes around them because trading options is a, a leverage product, it's a derivative. And as a result, there's a lot more moving parts. So if you, being someone I know uh, who's very passionate about markets and has a good pedigree in terms of a foundation, you know, it definitely could be worthwhile looking into and learning about. And that's unique because a lot of people are asking me about options. We trade options. I guide around options, but I don't have this, think of it like this intuitive video or course or, or guide walkthrough, which I'm thinking I should create because so many people are looking for it. Right? I, have a, I have a de facto guide in written form, but it's never the same being able to read something about options and seeing them in action because they're such a... Mm. They think of a, like a kind of like a mind-bending thing. They're a little bit of a complex thing. In fact, you maybe know the street and they still don't understand options. Right, and this is the thing about this is the thing about options. You know, and I said yesterday in, in our chat room, I said options are like they're like black magic. Okay, uh, they can do some extraordinary things with it, um, but if not done correctly, they can be like weapons of mass destruction. Okay, so it's very important to harness this tool, harness this strategy and this product, but do it the right way. In fact, we have one of our traders that literally had a hundred and thirty percent return. Uh, or actually 160% return on, on, uh, on options swing trade just today, one day, mm -hmm. right? So the power 
is there. You just have to know how to utilize it correctly. So great question, Brian. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, just to add to that, uh, like I, I would say, like if you're a brand new trader, uh, like like I think of it this way. Uh, so picture yourself as uh, like trying to learn mixed martial arts for the first time. And on day one, you want to learn boxing. Day two, you're going to learn Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And then day three, uh, maybe you, you start doing some Muay Thai, right? And if you're trying to do like all these different things all at once, you're going to become the master of nothing, right? So what you want to do is like pick one thing first, go deep into that, become a master of that, and then start layering on top. You look like you're deep in thought, or are you uh, cut out? Yeah, great question. Um, yeah, Michael, it's been a blast. I'm, I'm, uh, All right, yeah, I'm not sure if other people heard, but. Battery right now, and it's perfect time as we're getting All right, man. Um, yeah. Any final yeah, thoughts? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, uh, so it's been great. Some great questions. And I, you know, I don't want to run. Out of, I don't want to run out of that. I would say everyone just keep at it, keep learning. You know, Michael is a great resource. I will do everything I can to help on my end as well. They're like a living, breathing organism. They're constantly in flux. Make sure that you kind of try and understand it. Make sure you try and be, you know, a part of it because it's so amazing, right? understand that just in my personal humble opinion i think the financial markets are one of the greatest man-made inventions ever because the opportunity to make money and do really well but on the side uh it can go the other way too right so uh it's been fantastic talking about markets i appreciate everybody on and their question and michael for having me i uh, look forward to, to to staying in touch and, and working together yeah, yeah, man, absolutely. You've been a fantastic guest. Thanks so much. Been a real pleasure speaking to you. Thank you, everybody, for joining us live. And yeah, I can't wait to listen to the replay of this too, man. Like so many gold nuggets yeah. in here. Yeah, it's been a blast. Thanks, everyone. Take care. Cheers. Have a great day. Bye. See ya.